Welcome to Radar. This program can be heard at thevinyldistrict.com or anywhere fine podcasts are found. Here is your host, Evan Toth. When was the last time you really danced and just lost yourself in the music without caring what you looked like? Analyzing music is a rewarding experience, but sometimes it's best to just shut up, enjoy what you're hearing, and simply dance. And if you're going to engage in such an activity, there's no one finer to provide a soundtrack than James Hunter. Hunter's 2004 breakthrough album, People Gonna Talk, was a refreshing listen back then, as it was released just on the cusp of the retro soul groove revival of the early 2000s. But it's Hunter's compositional skills which keeps the album fresh these 16 years after its release. Since then, he's released many equally enjoyable albums recently on the famed Daptone label. So it's time for a retrospective. The James Hunter 6 has recently released a compilation titled With Love. To those who've enjoyed Hunter's music over the last two decades, it's a great opportunity to revisit some classics from his catalog. But to the uninitiated, it's a huge where-have-you-been moment, a great opportunity to learn about a genuine soul music genius living in our modern-day midst. James Hunter joins me from Brighton in the UK to discuss the new compilation, his relationship with Daptone Records, a few secrets that go into getting the sonic quality of his albums just right, and how the best gigs are the ones where there's plenty of room for people to get out of their seats and dance. Good morning for me. I'm here in New Jersey, America. Are where where are you right now? Are you uh... I'm in Brighton okay. uh, in uh, England. Uh, it's the as about as south as you can get. And it's uh it's a uh, uh, early afternoon. Yeah, you have a Late gig afternoon. tonight? You playing a gig tonight? No, got nothing to nothing tonight. That's good. Just me. I'm the only thing in the way of your a peaceful wonderful day. That's right. Uh, right. Apart from that, I've got nothing to do. <laughs> Good. Well, we talk a lot about vinyl on this show and uh, cassettes and CDs and how we digest media. And um, I have an interesting memory of you related to your uh, 2006 album here. I've got the, the CD here. I think this is the original uh, People Gonna Talk, which was such yeah. a smash hit at the time. And it's really one of the last times I remember someone coming up to me and holding a CD and asking if I'd heard of you and then, you know, letting me borrow the CD and listening to it at home and then pestering, oh, right. and pestering me to like return it back to them, you know. But for me, that's <laughs> one of the last times I remember, you know, before digital, before everything went totally digital and everything. Um, I remember this as being like your business card, you know, somebody saying, hey, you got to check this guy out. Look at this CD. Um, you've been in this business a long time. What are some of the changes you've noticed along the way, whether they be media or, um, you know, uh, other things uh, that you've. Oh, on the sort of formats. Um, well, yeah. when I first started, um, uh, CDs were almost I'm not sure whether they came in in the first time I was ever aware of CDs was about 88 Right. I think I don't, I don't know when they were invented, but the first thing I ever released was on um, was on vinyl. Right. Was, that, was a, that was like a late 80s. I, I'd love to get a. I don't have a copy of that. The first that first album was called what? Oh, the thing was called uh, Cry Wolf. Right. Because uh, I, I was under the name Howling Wolf. Wolf being uh, uh, an abbreviation of Wilfred, which is a sort of <laughs> very. Uh, regarded as a very sort of archetypal working class name. And right. uh, it was kind of, you know, the whole, the, the whole pun was to sort of point out the absurdity of some 
uh, white English trying to do blues, you know. Right, right, right. Um, do you have a Do you have a feeling one way or another about formats or vinyl? And you know, obviously, you're doing mm. some beautiful adapt tones, doing I, I, beautiful work with. I the, mean, uh, vinyl for you guys. I wouldn't know too much about the relative sound quality of each. You know, I'm right. I'm not as much of a gearhead as that, but I do prefer the as an artifact. I prefer it. Right. And uh, you do miss the cracks and pops, you know, when you put uh, even, you know, um, even what do you call it? Even, even in the old sort of uh, formats like eight track stereo. Was that popular over there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We had a track. I, I had him. Uh, I had a lot of my parents old cars their their cars. When I was a kid, we had, you know. Yeah. And, and, and that was every- ridiculous. You never knew where it was going to come up. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> no right, and the the cool thing about the eight tracks was the um the track listing of the whole album was out of whack. So if you if yeah. you knew the record, you know if you knew the record or you had the cassette tape or something at home, and then you put the eight track, it was like uh, you know. But it was interesting because it was like track listing is a big deal for performers when they're putting an album together. What song comes first and second? That's right. Eight track that, comes that around threw the whole crowd, didn't it? What's that? It was you never knew when you were supposed to jump off to turn it over. <laughs> right, it would just give you a clunk and and off you went. You know, I actually saw you uh, perform in New York City. It was about a hundred years ago. We were both much younger people, and it was on tour. I think it was on the tour for the Hard Way, or perhaps the album that followed. And it was a great. I just remember it. It was a great, straightforward show. You had a really cool striped shirt on i remember it very cl- clearly um all oh, right yes what can people i think like- i even remember when i bought that yes <laughs> you have that shirt do you still have that shirt no it fell to pieces <laughs> <laughs> it had a lot I of- outgrew it <laughs> it had a lot of shows uh, it saw a lot of uh, uh hot spotlights but what can people expect from you in a performance nowadays i know you're you're the the james hunter six is a little different probably from what i saw it possibly. I mean, I've uh, had a few lineup changes um, since then. I mean, when uh, around 2007, I was I was using the Scratch American lineup, and then I brought my own fellas over from England to do, do the touring. And then about four years ago, we ch- changed over again, and it's uh, another all um, American lineup. And they're all much younger than me, except the drummer. You know. Right. And what do you and, look uh, for when you put those shows together? You know, what kind of show are you trying to give the audience nowadays? Well, I mean, really, it's just sort of, um, it is really just, a, ideally, it's just a bunch of songs to jump about to. You know, we, right. we get put in seated venues a bit too often for my liking. You know, I do like it when there's, uh, ideally, if there's space to, um, for people to sit, Right. You know, if if there was a row of seats above where the dancers go, and you could satisfy both camps, uh, that's what I'd like ideally. But it's it my 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 music isn't really tailored for sitting down with your uh, with your finger on your chin, thinking about it too much. It is a sort of a, a, a visceral thing for dancing to. Yeah, and I, in fact, it's funny that you mentioned that. I think I seem to remember that at that show, like, you know, because I, I, I think it was the Gramercy Theater. In fact, I was talking to my friend last night who went to the show with me. I said, you know, I'm talking to James Hunter tomorrow. And he said, yeah, we went to that show at the Gramercy Theater. I said, I don't know. I've forgotten that that's where it was. But we were seated, and I remember feeling like, you know, this is a this is like a you know high energy thing, and you know just something yeah. you want to kind of move around. You know, even if you're not dancing, you want to kind of just be on your feet, bopping along. So uh, I remember. I, that. I think maybe a lot of that was the way we were marketed because we were signed to um, we were signed to a label that primarily did 
uh, catered for uh, older audiences and they 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 most of their signs uh, most of the people signed to them were people who were very had a hardcore following but weren't troubling the charts these days right, right. so they didn't re- we were a bit of a fish out of water there so they were catering mostly to people who wanted to sit down and you know have a bit of a nostalgia trip so we we were kind of stuck in that camp and right. it might have been a matter of marketing i'm not sure or it might be that the stuff i do is a bit old fashioned and for the people who still like it uh, don't move about too much. I don't right, know. Right, they're they're slowing down. I don't know. But uh, anyway, <laughs> we're we're here to uh, we're here to talk about your latest release, oh, which is uh, comp. I guess this is the, this is the absolute last thing that you guys have put out. I believe it's a compilation yeah. of love songs, and uh, it's also it's also things that are specifically James Hunter six stuff. I I believe, yeah. Yes, that's right. Yes, and uh, I guess it's a it's something that you want to play with your sweetheart on Valentine's Day. You're here in the locket. You look great. And um, what's unique about this compilation? What uh, well, the really unique thing I'll answer the question for you is it's in mono. Am I right? Yes, that's right. I mean, um, I think oh, everything we've done with Daptone has been mono. I think uh, I'm not sure whether that's an aesthetic decision or uh, an economic one. Well, how do you feel about it? Are you happy to? Uh, I mean, I think that obviously this music, uh, as we mentioned, you know, has a retro uh, feel, and you know, so many of these records that I have that are, you know, the 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 stuff from the early '60s that would uh, be similar to the sound. You know, the the mono recordings are where it's at. That's what was on the radio. That that's what was on AM radio. I think so, and it's how you hear it most of the time. Most people don't listen to stuff in stereo, and if you're sitting close to both speakers, you might as well be getting it in mono. And then, I think the annoying thing, when, years and years ago, when somebody would record us in mono, uh, sorry, in stereo, they would split the wrong things up and they'd take the two horn, the se- section we have is two two horns, and they'd split those up and it, it right. blew the harmonies completely. And it was, I think it was, um, the bloke was going for uh, uh, symmetry just right. for its own sake, you know. <laughs> But it kind of, and it's interesting. You bring up a good point. A, a lot of folks now are almost back to mono because they're all listening on these little silly, you know, digital speakers or whatever they yeah. have, and there's just one speaker coming out anyway. So sometimes you get the the stereo versions get lopped off, and you don't hear, you know, depending on how the signal travels through the the radio or whatever it is you're listening to, you might lose that whole left channel. Absolutely, yeah, and there's nothing worse than that than hearing something and almost hearing the vocal. And right, it's re- really infuriating. Elvis not, didn't like stereo, did he? Apparently, right. Well, except when I was a kid, I used to love to um, uh, change the panning on the Beatles uh, records, the George Martin ones, where yeah, yeah, all the vocals were in the right channel, and all the you know the the drums or whatever Ringo was in the left channel, and I could say, oh, let's just listen to the vocals, let's just listen to Paul. You know, that was always cool. <laughs> that was interesting. You got the full karaoke then, didn't you? Yeah. Right. You could, you could like that was the thing the when it was in its infancy, people would have it to an extreme, wouldn't they? They'd just right. completely pan one thing to the other, and it's, it's quite it's, it's quite an understandable sort of indulgence, isn't it? Right, right. It's pretty cool. You're like, uh, you've got your own recording studio now. You've been with Daptone for a while, and they're lucky to uh, have your singularly unique voice. Uh, what's it like working with the label? Seems like they really get you, you know, whereas another label, you know, might work into that. Is the attraction, I mean, they know where I'm coming from, you know. And, uh, uh, and we had a feeling that would be the case when we were we were shopping around for a new label, and having heard their output, we thought that's probably where we belong. 
Right. And it took, I think it took, <laughs> it took a bit of convincing on our part to get them to uh, sign us. We did practically camp on their doorstep and bully them into it, you know. Uh, makes total sense to me i mean do you record these albums are are most of them when you record with them they're all in in their brooklyn studio or do you do no not the brooklyn one uh he's got another place which it seems to be using more often and this is in riverside california it's about an hour away from los angeles and uh it's the place is like an aircraft hangar and it sounds fantastic and that's the only place we've ever recorded uh, for Daptone. And we, we were the ones who broke it in, apparently. he We were the guinea pigs for that new place. And it's just got such a three-dimensional sound. All the, the horns come out really sound, rounded. It's, it's a beautiful sound. And uh, apparently their Brooklyn one doesn't quite sound as good as that. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Well, for sure, the sound that they go for, I mean, it, it seems like a match made in heaven to me. So I'm, I'm glad that you guys are connected. Yeah, me too. Um, speaking about your voice, you know, you've heard this before, but it's one of the best voices uh, really out there right now that's being uh, put down on vinyl or whatever. And well, think, it's high praise, but I'll take it. <laughs> uh, it's, you've got a great voice. And I think a lot of performers would love to have the characteristics you do. It's like a perfectly worn in pair of jeans. You know, what have you done or not done to take care of it uh, over these years? Well, I mean, um, I used to smoke a lot, but I don't think that helped. It, it didn't hinder as much as people say, but I gave up smoking uh, two, two years ago. And um, I think it's improved matters. I can hit a few more high notes since then. Right, right. A little more, uh, a little more control or something like that. Yeah, that's, that's it. I, you know, it did knock a bit off the top end, I've got to say. <laughs> Yeah, but it sounds great. I mean, it sounds, again, it sounds like uh, something that a voice of, of yesteryear, you know, it's it's got so much character, whereas I think sometimes in the music industry, uh, I don't know, maybe people aren't always looking for character. They, they you know, the, yeah. the case, but now they just want, you know, perfection or whatever. But but I love it. I, I think you got a great voice. Oh, thank you very much. I, I think um, I think usually it's flaws are the sort of best thing about it. I, I, I think people would go too much for uh, technical perfection now. Right. Whereas the, the, you can lose a lot of character. In fact, being too good, you can, yeah, I don't know, you can lose a little bit of character that way. Right, right. Uh, you know, sometimes there's a film with a specific performer on the soundtrack that sets the tone of the movie. And I've often thought this when I listen to your music, if I'm driving around, you know, your music could function very well in one of those roles because you're so consistent with your writing and your production. Um, it used to be, you know, I remember 20 years ago, maybe there was a, a performer that used to do the soundtrack for the film and it was a big deal. So yeah. so when, when are you going to score the, the big romantic blockbuster? It just seems like a matter of time. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever been... Uh, I wouldn't say no to that. I mean, you know, I do, I do like, I do get a kick up out of hearing myself on a film soundtrack, and it's, uh, it, we, we've got a few of those little sort of tickles uh, lately, and it's, it does give me a kick, but, um, and it brings a couple of bob in sometimes as yeah, well, you know. Right. Is I really would kill to get one of my tracks on something like Better Call Saul or some really cool program like that. All right, but well, a romantic blockbuster, I'll settle for. We'll we'll have to find a movie to 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 make that partnership because I that it, it just feels like a natural fit to me too, you know. And back to your sound, you know, it's you've got the rock and roll throwback going, but it's coupled with some really delicately nuanced rhythms. There's some reggae going on there and beyond, and it creates a really addictive world. How do you kind of take your core sound and keep it fresh when you rec- when you return to those? Styles? Well, I, I think it's because that's where my 
uh, tastes kind of lie. So I write to please myself, you know, on my own sort of, uh, what do you call that? Uh, market research department. You know, I, I sort of write, I, I try and write the kind of stuff that I would rush out and buy if I heard it. That's, that's why, <laughs> that's why about 70% of my songs sound like Hello Stranger by Barbara Lewis, because <laughs> I first heard that and I scoured every second hand record shop looking for it. So uh, it's you know I, I do write to my own uh, to my own taste. Right. What were some other artists that you really uh, you know grew up with? I'm glad that you name checked uh, that. I think I I think I have that back here. But what are some other uh, artists that you really loved growing up that really influenced you that uh, that you feel in your own music when you're playing? Well, it was um, I've always tried. You know, early on I'd be channeling channeling people like uh, Muddy Waters and Eddie Cochran and Clyde McFatter. It was mostly people of a certain, I don't know, there's something about the late 50s, early 60s, early to mid 60s that, that had a, the music had a kind of punchy directness that it lost a little bit later. And really a, a huge thing is all those writing partnerships of uh, in the Brill building. I, I found this brilliant book about that whole uh, scene, you know, where you got uh, Bacharach, David, uh, Lieber and Stoller and uh, Goffin and King. And all those people as writers, they're all my sort of, and producers, they're all totally my kind of touchstones of what I want to uh, do myself. Right. And well, and it's, I'm glad you bring that up because I think your compositional uh, skills and ability uh, sometimes gets overshadowed by your, just your cool sound. And I think it's one of the things that really sets you apart. You have this fantastic production and the players, but it's all about the song. You know, it's all about the song. If you don't have the song, you don't have it, you know? So yeah. you've got some great tunes in your catalog and, um, but back to the uh, previous question, you know, how do you, how do you kind of keep it fresh? Are you, you sit there and write and you say, Oh, this sounds like that again. Or, you know, how do you sort of, um, how do you not get repetitive and balance that um, that sound with your own, you know, sort well, of... Well, sometimes when the repetitive creeps in, it is deliberate, you because know, I'm still writing to the stuff I like. But um, I think usually the theme of the song or the, uh, you know, the subject matter is um, I kind of follow the John Lennon dictum, sort of write down what you're thinking and make it rhyme. Right. It's, it's pretty good, that. It? It's a really concise bit of advice, that. I always like the other thing he said as well. He, he distilled it really well. He said that um, you don't so much write a song as you excavate it. It's there already, right? And you just—it's you, like a block of stone, and it's there is a there is a sculpture in there. There's a statue in that block of stone, right. and it's up to you to find it. And I've I've often thought of that thing when I there's something I want to say in a song, and I've had that feeling. There's nothing mystical about it, but it's just like. That song is there somewhere. I've just got to excavate it. Right. And it's, right. it's brilliant. As in the end, I always manage to find it. How it's much, very weird. How much rewriting or uh, tweaking do you do when, when you compose, you know, uh, when you get to the studio? What, what's kind of the process? I'm uh, just curious. Well, in the writing process, I've often, uh, well, they used to say Beethoven was a junkyard composer. You know, he'd think up several little bits and he'd, uh, he'd, he'd scrap one and take a bit out of it. And I've, do, I've done a bit of that kind of thing. You, uh, I have had two songs that were both not quite good, but they both had good bits in them. So right. I, threw, I threw the bad bit out and stuck them both together. Use them together. And I, the, the other, oh, the other terrible thing, I, I wrote um, Whatever It Takes and... I, I, I was trying to use it as a metaphor. I was trying to use uh, 
this line from a film. It, the, the film was called The Setup with, uh, what's his name, Robert Ryan, as a washed-up boxer. And his wife saying, ah, you're always one punch away, you know, from his achieving his ambitions. Right. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to use that line and, make, and build a song around it. And, and it turned out, when I'd written the first draft of this song, and when I read it back, it's just like, wait a minute, it's not a metaphor. I've written a song that's literally about boxing. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I had to throw out 90% of it and keep the one line. And, you know, I've done this before. I've completely forgot where I was going. You know, it's early celebrity. Right? Right. So I... I <laughs> Maybe it would have been for a big boxing movie. See, that's what I think. You know what I mean? Yeah. You should have left it. Yeah, I, I could have done. Maybe I'll keep the bits I threw away. I'll, I'll take the offcuts back and see yeah, if I'll, like, I'll shop it around. Sylvester Stallone. Maybe it'll be for like Rocky 19 or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're talking about your, your composition and your writing, but I really love when you throw in those uh, instrumentals. I, I love uh, Satchel Foot, you know, and stuff oh. like that. Um, you're And you're great. We're not even talking about your guitar playing. By the way, I love the, uh, <laughs> the, the Les Paul uh, Jr. that you have on this, the the this album cover you know i oh I yeah know, are you still playing some, that one i still or? have that that's that's had a new neck since that photograph was taken oh, really yeah it got in in a fight uh, about a year after that it got involved in a fight and uh, fell, a clever bloke called philly put a whole new neck on it wow it's a great yeah it's a great it's a beauty that isn't it wow yellow, the tv yellow <laughs> i love and so but how do you feel about the instrumentals uh that seems like a great opportunity for you to stretch out and really enjoy playing guitar which that I, was a bit of fun play. because i've never been satisfied with the guitar sound i get um i think people are always trying to turn me down and everything you know so yeah. I, I deliberately i did we did one called blisters and it was just an experiment it was a show-off to see if I could play on a record without using a pick. So oh. I did it without a pick. And to sort of compensate for that, I, I whacked them. Yeah, I whacked them. What do you call it? Some, the, the going, some calluses. Yeah, that's it. Just plucking it with this. And uh, like a lot of people I like, Gatemouth Brown and Loman Pauling used to do that. And I turned it way up so that it could get a lot of flexibility. And... It was so high in the mix, and it bled over every single track, so they couldn't they couldn't turn me down, not even when they were mixing it. Right. So it was great. Everybody complained. Everybody hated it except me. But uh, that's what, <laughs> what what you're hearing is uh, what I wanted. You know. That's awesome. Um, you know, when you go into the studio and you're producing and you're trying to get that sound that you you are often successful getting, you know, are there any tricks or uh, secret, not that you're going to give up your recording secrets here, but, you know, what do you kind of, how do you, obviously the, 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 the studio equipment has a lot to play to get you that funky analog thing going on, but yeah, what do you guys do, how do you sort of set up a studio session to uh, put things together? Well, any, you know, this is a thing. Anyone who's ever any good isn't worried about giving their secrets away, you know, and right. uh, I, I'm not making any great claims for myself, but I aspire to being really good. So I'm, I'm going to tell everybody everything. All I right. know. You do. And one of the secrets to get that, sound which is uh, i didn't discover myself i was taught it by gabe roth who does our stuff and he's got this trick of i what i used to have real trouble was mixing and mm. you bring the thing up that you wanted and it disguises something else so you bring that up and you're playing leapfrog and it right. just ends up sounding crap but he's got this thing of getting around that and he he, he knows how to make 
a, a, a mix that everything is up front. And all he does is he, if two instruments on the same uh, song are occupying the same frequency, he'll make one move up. So he'll, he'll get, all right, can you play that organ uh, an octave up? Right. And he just gets all these frequencies out of each other's way, and it's as simple as that. Right. And then suddenly you, you play it back and you can hear everything equally. And it's got that sort of crunchy, sort of punchy directness that the, the old records have. And I, I, it was it was so simple the way he explained it. And yeah. a lot of it also down to mic placement. It's he, He'll spend almost a day putting the, the, the right mic, the right. right distance from the bass drum. It's insane. You know, it would drive me crackers after a while, but it was always worth sitting through it you know right well once you get it you can get it and set it and forget it you know then you can go on and leave the mics where yeah they are, and then you don't have to worry Except about until it. you get the next song and then he starts moving it about again it's like oh, oh no <laughs> well, that's a cool trick you know nothing nothing's taken up the uh the same space everything has its own um frequency yeah there, it's you know. so simple but you know it's it works really cool well what's next for you where's uh are we working on a new record or um touring or what's uh what's on the well i'm i'm gonna be we've got um what is it september oh we've got a um august august we've got that cruise haven't we and then we've got some cruise up in greece or something oh, and cool. uh, that's in august but september i've got a, a american tour mostly on the east coast and i think there's some tact on the end over on the west which is nice and uh, after that, I it's I haven't written anything for quite a long time, so I've really got to get my finger out there. And I think once I get on a roll, I mean, the wife should great help with that because she's like uh, her feedback is pretty good. She she doesn't write herself, but she knows when a line doesn't work, you know. So she she's the one that <laughs> told you to get rid of that boxing song. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, very good. Uh, thanks to you and thanks to your wife for uh, for speaking with me today. It was a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate, uh, you know, uh, I really appreciate you, your music and speaking with you. And, and best of luck and hope to see you down the road somewhere one of these days. Hope so. Thanks very much. I enjoyed it. Radar is produced by Evan Toth in partnership with WFDU 89.1 FM and The Vinyl District. You can hear Radar on WFDU 89.1 FM or anytime online at thevinyldistrict.com.